Hello, and welcome to another teaching by 119 Ministries. Our ministry teaches that the whole Bible is still true and directly applicable in our lives. If you would like to know more on what we believe and teach, please visit us at testeverything.net. We hope that you enjoy studying and testing the following teaching. We know that the Spirit cannot contradict Scripture. So, let's examine the Scriptures and see where our understanding of the Spirit lines up accordingly. As it has been said before, that which is called the New Testament is simply commentary for that which had already been established in the Old Testament. Everything that transpired in the New Testament was first prophesied to happen in the Old Testament. Thus. Any interpretation given to something in the New Testament that does not line up with the Old Testament must be understood as a wrong interpretation. So, when something new did happen in the New Testament, it had to be validated in the existing scriptures, the Old Testament. This is why Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture, not some of it, or only part of it, but all of it. One cannot say this part is only for the Jews. No, he said all scripture is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's just like when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 the anniversary of Moses bringing the law down. When the people noticed what was going on, Peter immediately stood up and said, No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He didn't make something up or even say that this is what Christ said would happen before he left, which would have been a true statement, but that would not have held any credibility to the Jews. He backed it up with the foundational scriptures of the Old Testament in explaining how it was the beginning of the prophecy found in the book of Joel. So, as we go through this teaching, see if you can back up everything you believe in with the scriptures found in the Old Testament. If you can't, please consider taking a harder look at what you believe in. Let's begin our study with the words of Christ regarding the coming of the Holy Spirit. John 14:26 says, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. We see here that the focus for us having the Holy Spirit is that He will teach us all things and remind us 
of all that Christ said. Well, how does that help us who are 2,000 years removed from hearing everything that Christ said? How can we, 2,000 years later, be reminded of something we never heard to begin with? However, if there is a way for us to know everything that Christ taught his disciples, then we can know and be reminded of everything, just as the disciples were. So, what did Christ teach his disciples? Consider John 17, 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So, now we know that he gave them God's word. He said this before the New Testament was even thought of, let alone written. So, everything we are to be reminded of that he taught is that which is found in the Old Testament. That is what the Holy Spirit is to remind us of. But, is there any other detail that we can glean from in the words of Christ to even better clarify what he considered to be the Word of God? Consider Mark chapter 7. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift devoted to God then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Here we see Christ specifically calling the commands of God, as given through Moses, the word of God. So, if the Spirit is to remind us of everything he taught, and we know that he taught the Word of God, and he defined the Word of God as the law given by Moses, then we can really say that walking in the Spirit is truly walking in the law of God as given by Moses. For that is what the Spirit is to remind us of. This ties in perfectly with that which is prophesied in Jeremiah regarding the New Covenant. Jeremiah 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And also that which is prophesied in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. 
You will be my people, and I will be your God. So, walking in the Spirit is walking according to God's law, for the Spirit is there to bring it to our mind. This is why Paul said in Romans chapter 7, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Notice what Paul says in verse 23, waging war against the law of my mind. Now recall the words of Christ. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Spirit brings everything of the law to our minds to help us walk in obedience. Look how Paul ties this all together just a few verses later in the next chapter. Romans chapter 8. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Notice how in verse 7, the mind that is not led by the Spirit is hostile to God and is not even able to follow the law. One might say, but I don't know the law. How can I be reminded of it if I've never been taught what it says? Or how can I be accountable to it if no one ever told me before? This is actually what Paul addresses in the first part of chapter 7. Compare. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. So, while apart from the law, we produced death. Verse 6, But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. For clarification, let's break this verse down. Many interpret this to mean that we are now released from God's law, as given by Moses, by way of the Spirit. But with closer examination, we see he is referring to the law of sin and death, disobedience. What have we truly died to? The law or the law of sin and death? Was it the law that bound us or was it our sin? Compare what is said in the previous chapter, Romans chapter 6. 
The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. It is to sin that we are to die to. Sin, that which is defined as breaking God's law. In 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. All too often, because Paul lets the context determine what law he is referencing, people mistake him for meaning the law of God instead of the law of sin and death. This cannot be stressed enough. Simply because Paul lets the context determine what law he is referencing, people mistake him for meaning the law of God instead of the law of sin and death. For we must understand that God's law never bound anyone, as referenced in chapter 7, verse 6. Otherwise, how could it be perfect or even righteous, as mentioned in the Psalms? Psalms 19:7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Psalm 119.7 I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. If it is the law that bound us, how could it produce blessings if obeyed? Seriously, think about it. Bondage doesn't produce blessings. It produces pain and heartache. For those who may still think that it is God's law that bound his people, please consider the following and stay with me. You'll see my point. Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land, and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns, and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land He is giving you. The Lord will establish you as His holy people, as He promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in His ways. Then all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. 
if you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. So, was it the law of God that bound his people? Or was it the breaking of God's law that bound them? It was the breaking of it. Sin. As quoted earlier, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. And now we see that we serve or obey in the newness of the Spirit by having the law written on our heart, with the Spirit bringing to mind how we are to live and pointing us to those very directions found in the Word, versus that of the written letter only. The Spirit takes that which was written and helps us understand the meanings and understandings of the purposes therein, to apply it to our lives. Taking the written law only results in taking that which is written verbatim, and rarely, if ever, looking at the point to which they were given. If you think about it, didn't Christ himself discuss the meanings of the law to the Pharisees? Consider the following. Luke chapter 13. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Also, think of it for a moment. What was Matthew chapter 5 all about? It was Christ expounding on the spirit of the law, meaning the intent of each commandment. Not just teaching the letter of the law like the Pharisees did. Matthew 5 is where we see Christ saying, you heard it said. This is where we actually see Christ addressing the teachings of the Pharisees. There is no doubt that some of the things that they had heard were actually written in the law. Yet, he doesn't address them as what was written, but what was spoken of them. Thus, it was the teachings he was specifically addressing. Just as Christ brought full meaning to the written law, the Spirit also brings the meaning and the purpose of the law and helps us in applying his word to our lives. Now, back to Romans chapter 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity 
through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. So, according to verse 9, when he was made aware of the commandment, his sin was realized as being alive in him. Verse 10, And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. We must remember here that death is a good thing. For Christ himself said, Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For unless we die, we cannot truly live. Mark 8.35 For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Continuing, Romans 7 verse 11, For sin taking opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. So it is the law that Paul here calls holy, righteous, and good that reveals our sin to us. This is so we may die to that sin and walk in the ways of Christ. So, in responding to those that would say, but I don't know the law, how can I be reminded of it if I've never been taught what it says? And those who would say, how can I be accountable to it if no one ever told me before? The answer that Paul is saying is, once the law is revealed to us, we have no excuse for not following it. Just as when Christ said, in John chapter 15, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. And this is accomplished today by the Spirit. John 16, When He comes, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So He convicts the world of sin. We must not forget that sin is breaking the law. Again, as mentioned before, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So, to the point established earlier, the Spirit brings everything of the law to our minds to help us walk in obedience. Thus, walking in the Spirit is walking according to God's law for the Spirit is there to bring it to our mind. Consider also what Christ said regarding the Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. Exactly what is the power that Christ is talking about here? That power enabled them to be witnesses. Think about this for a minute. As we've established, the Spirit will bring everything Christ said to mind and teach us all things, thus giving us knowledge and wisdom of the Scriptures. So, what is the power? Or, 
Is this the power? Consider Proverbs 24. A wise man has great power, and a man of knowledge increases strength. Could it be that the knowledge and wisdom the Spirit teaches and reminds us of is the very power needed to overcome the world? Think of it. What did Christ do when tempted? He quoted the law. So, that's how he overcame. The very thing that is to be in our hearts by way of the Spirit in the New Covenant is how Christ overcame. Compare what happened after he overcame. Luke chapter 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. Could it be that the Spirit teaches and reminds us to walk in obedience, and that obedience results in supernatural results in our life? Well, it makes sense, as Christ began to do many mighty things after his testing of obedience. Before his testing, it is noted that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Then, we see his obedience and quoting the law to overcome. And it is after this that we see verse 14 saying that he returned in the power of the Spirit. It must be noted here that we are not talking about just obeying the law. We're talking about believing in the Word and obeying it as a result. For even Galatians 3.5 says, Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? So, it is faith in the Word that produces obedience, which in turn produces the power. Thus, faith and action working together. Is this to say that the Spirit can't move in someone if they don't have the full understanding of the law? Oh, of course not. I think it's safe to say that everyone believes that we grow in the Lord. And as we grow, we are accountable to the knowledge given to us. If you are moving in obedience to that which has been given you, then the Spirit can clearly move through you. However, if one begins rejecting that which the Spirit shows them, can we really expect that the Spirit will continue to move in them much longer? Could we not consider this at least a type of grieving the Spirit? For some today, when hearing that the law is truly not done away with, will just scoff or ridicule. They simply can't accept the things that the Spirit is to put in our heart. It is to these individuals that 1 Corinthians chapter 2 specifically addresses. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In their defenses, they are quick to say that the law is not something that is spiritual. Thus, this verse is not talking of them. However, the law is spiritual. Romans chapter 7. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. More often than not, 
these individuals find themselves fulfilling Romans chapter 8. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. But, as we see by the pattern given of Christ in Luke 4, that it is very plausible to say that obedience to the Spirit, as He reveals the law to us, enables us to walk in the power of the Spirit. Let us not forget that Christ Himself said that the main purpose of the Spirit is to remind us of the law. And this bears witness with what Paul said in Romans 15. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Let us never forget, as prophesied through Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. So walking in the spirit is walking according to God's law, for the Spirit is there to bring it to our mind. Let us never forget how Christ informed us that the Spirit is to remind us of all He taught. Thus, walking in the Spirit is walking according to God's law, for the Spirit is there to bring it to our mind. We hope you have enjoyed this study. Remember, continue to test everything. Shalom.